Hello everybody and welcome to the third episode of the Feeding Curiosity podcast. I am delighted to welcome our guest today, Christiana Scott. She is the founder of Real Food Littles, a health-focused personal chef, nutritional therapy practitioner and a passionate supporter of baby-led weaning. Christiana, a very warm welcome to the show. Please can you tell us a little bit about yourself and where your interest in baby nutrition began? Yeah, well, thank you so much for, for having me on today. Um, it really all started where I was determined to kind of avoid some of the issues that I saw my um, personal chef uh, clients have. Um, and it, it, there was just this common thread that they would all call me with these issues with eating where they had kids who were picky eaters and then one had an allergy and it would just the end result was the same where meals were miserable for everyone and then usually whoever was responsible for the food which is generally in most families um the mom um was cooking like multiple meals to sort of make dinner work for everyone and it was just sort of this question of like well how does this get so out of control um so that's how i started learning more about baby led weaning and sort of how different families approach starting solids and sort of tracing these issues really back to the beginning um and sort of of starting on the right foot um and then so i had this experience of sort of seeing other families go through this. And then on a personal level, um, we really struggled to have children. We went through a very long journey with IVF and recurrent miscarriage um, before um, finally sort of having a viable pregnancy that ended up being twins. Um, we put in one embryo and it split, which was sort of like the surprise of a lifetime. Um, but <laughs> I mean, I, I'm so, in that club as well. We're quite, yeah, we're right. small, a qu small cohort. Um, I, yeah, I understand like that. Quite a surprise on the ultrasound. Um, <laughs> But given my history, I was sort of in the unique position of like, I knew I had one shot to get this right, you know, and like to do it once with, with two children and that was going to be it. So I was really um, committed to doing baby led weaning and I had seen the benefits. Um, but when I actually got into the thick of it, I was sort of shocked by how challenging it was to just like feed the baby what you eat. It was just sort of like this flip and oh, just like feed the baby what you're eating. And it's all like so easy and so lovely. And but I had so many questions of like, well, what about the salt? And what about the spice and the honey and the texture and like all of these things? It just seemed like all the things that I love to cook um, for my husband and I it just wasn't that easy to adapt it, particularly from like six to nine months where like they're just getting started and just kind of getting their feet wet, for, wet with it. Um, so it was just sort of this, this learning process and this aha moment of like how I had to really just think about cooking in a new way and adapt to what I was cooking so that um, our twins could have it too and enjoy a really wide variety of foods without me losing my marbles as a parent and having to <laughs> yeah. like make special little purees or special little cute like baby led weaning for food for them, which I didn't have the bandwidth to do looking after twins in a pandemic. Yeah. You know, it's like when I had a You've got a limited, <laughs> pot, limited pot of time that you need to right. make work for you. Yeah. Right. So it's just like, there has to be, you know, a more manageable way to do this. And that's kind of what led me to um, starting Real Food Littles. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. that, I mean, that's sort of the perfect introduction to what we're going to discuss today, which is really how, how, like how you can guide parents to do that. So it sort of brings me on to the first question was, so how, you know, how, how do you adapt a meal to make baby led weaning more manageable? You know, I'm, not, I'm definitely not Jamie Oliver. Um, and, you know, <laughs> 
we've all got a limited pot of time. So yeah, what are your top tips for that? Yeah, and what I always want to tell people is you don't have to be Jamie Oliver. I mean, you do you do not have to have that level of cooking skill or knowledge to sort of to make this manageable. Um, so what I advise is um, you sort of have to come up with something that is reasonable for you because if you try and like set the bar too high and like buy all this food and find all these recipes and then it just like it feels overwhelming and then if you don't get to it all then you just sort of feel defeated. So I try and suggest to parents of find, pick two meals per week that are um, things that you can easily adapt for the baby and make baby sort of baby friendly um, with it also being something that adults would enjoy as well. So things like, um, like meatballs are really great that are soft, like sweet potatoes, soft vegetables. And there's lots of meals that we eat at adult as adults that, use those sorts of things. Um, but if you can pick two per week um, and then you can make extra of those as well, um, then that's a really good start of having a couple meals per week um, that you can that you and your baby can enjoy together. Yeah, I think that's, and, and I guess it also is sort of like parents with work and time that actually right. maybe it's not realistic for every family for every meal to sit down together. So having sort of just sort of those two a week that are one to two a week that you've agreed and then if you find that you are actually doing you've got more time that you can always up it and not right. give yourself a hard time because mm-hmm. so yeah, babies not. eat so little in the early days that if you cook those two meals you'll have even if there's not a time left over necessarily for like adults or older children like you can put little leftovers in tiny glass containers and have quite a bit to feed your baby for other meals that maybe you're cooking that are less baby friendly you know if you're really craving something super spicy that isn't appropriate then you can have you know some home-cooked really great food in the freezer that you can pull out and then it makes the, the, the whole thing a little bit less overwhelming to have that backup. Yeah. So what I wanted to ask you about was sort of obviously as baby gets older, the the more the complexity of food that they eat is going to is likely to increase or their textures and things. So how would you sort of where would you start for sort of, you know, you're beginning your weaning journey. You don't want to cook two meals. Um, So if you were cooking, what would be your sort of what would you do at six months versus as they get a little bit older? Um, well, at six, when they're starting off, you're working with the bigger pieces of food. So sort of like two finger lengths wide, a finger length long. And it's totally appropriate at that age for a baby to have, you know, one broccoli floret, one spear of sweet potato and like one strip of steak or something, you know, just really small portions. And then that can be dinner for the parents too, of having steak, sweet potato and broccoli. And um, babies can eat a lot more in terms of like flavor and seasonings and stuff than we think. So it's sort of the tide is really turned in terms of flavor and stuff. And it used to be, well, it's like, well, what adult wants to eat a completely plain sweet potato? Well, you don't have to, you know, you can put seasonings on it, you can put butter on there and really make it um, really make it tasty. You know, it's like babies can um, handle a lot more in terms of like their palate than we have sort of been led to believe for a long time. Yeah. And then it makes it taste better for adults too. So, yeah. And I think if something's palatable to you, it's more than likely going to be palatable to your baby that, you know, right. The, right. The, the, like little, little chefs in the making. And then so when, when they sort of get to sort of six to nine months, is there a, diff- a big difference between what you should be doing at six months to, to nine months in terms of adapting a meal? 
there's not a huge difference there because it's usually the shift in food size really comes when the pincer grass starts coming in. So that's why around the nine month mark, we go down to like the smaller um, bite size pieces. And it's just okay. it's just sort of like this slow journey, really, of them increasing the the sort of textures that they can manage, the foods that they can eat competently. Um, and so it's really not until that pincer grass comes in kind of eight and a half, nine months at the food size um, will change. Um, and it's just like an ever increasing sort of list of the foods they've tried and the foods that they can, you know, manage with ease. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really helpful. Um, and so sort of moving on from there, what, babies, when they're very little, they do spend a lot of time squishing food up and, and not eating that much of it. And so how do we sort of avoid, avoid the waste? Because, you know, at the moment, food is getting more expensive um yes everybody's feeling the pinch on that so how how can we try and avoid that sort of food waste because I think that's a lot of parents feel a bit frustrated if they've cooked something Mm -hmm. and then it ends up on the floor absolutely yeah there's a couple there's a couple things there and this is as you said this is really top of mind for a lot of people and particularly if you're trying to feed your baby things that are healthy you know that those are are sometimes going to be some of those items are going to be a little bit more expensive. So you certainly don't want to waste them. And the first thing really is to um, understand how incredibly small the portions can be of like the first portion that you serve to your baby. So kind of like what I was mentioning, like, like one small broccoli floret is plenty. Like you don't need to put like five little broccoli florets on the, on the plate. So especially from like six to nine months, like one of each, if you serve three foods, like one piece of each is plenty. And then if you're following, you know, Ellen Satter's like division of responsibility, which is sort of a well-known kind of really elegant way of thinking about the parent's role in feeding and the child's role in feeding, then if they want more of something, then you then you offer that, presuming you have like more of it cooked or whatever. Um, so it's not that the baby's only going to eat that tiny amount. It's that if they decide they don't want any broccoli today, that you're not wasting that. Um, so just being really, really intentional about starting small and then letting them have more um, if they want it. Because the other thing is sometimes... Um, a lot of food in front of a baby can be a bit overwhelming to them as they're just getting the hang of this eating concept. And when they're overwhelmed, they're much more likely to just grab it all and throw it, which is super irritating. (laughs) You know, for parents. And we've all been there. Yeah, we've all been there. And I'm not saying that this is like a cure all. Like I think food throwing is just gonna be like part of it at some point. But um yeah so both from a waste standpoint and from a throwing standpoint like it helps to start really small um and then some other parents um can do will do some sort of like a splash mat underneath and that way if it falls if that's clean and the food falls on there then um you know if you're comfortable with it then that can go back on the plate you know with like less concern of you know it hitting the floor and what might be (laughs) on it at that point so yeah yeah and obviously you know all the product that i you know that reason was the reason that the cover all came to be the the, the right. cover all became to be and and actually what i didn't realize before i created it was actually how much my it was actually my nephew where he was sort of testing it how much actually he ended up he just dropped just because his hand-eye coordination wasn't good enough and right it was yeah all in the well and then he rediscovered yes. it and so it was kind of like the meal it's like the kangaroo the pouch <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that was something that I hadn't really appreciated at the time that, you know, that would have ended up as food waste. So Right, absolutely. It was, it, it, yeah. Yeah, so I, I was really surprised that, and, I, and my understanding of baby development wasn't as, as good as it is now, but that was a big benefit that they, you know, I guess it's, it, it, you know, as it is, it's an engaging opportunity because the food is in a different place. So it makes it more interesting again to find it somewhere else. Right, right. Um, it's like a whole new item when they find it, like tucked in their bins. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. And so, so any other tips on food waste? It's sort of obviously portion control, picking stuff up, or is that, we kind of covered that one. I think mostly, yeah. I think it's just, um, you want to make sure that whatever whatever food is being used at that meal is actually consumed by your baby or to the best of, you know, there's going to be like some mess and some on their face, but it's like, it's amazing how much can get wasted by it just like getting hurled on the floor because the portions were too big. So, um, yeah. yeah. And do you have sort of a, a sort of a, like a size? Cause sometimes that's useful to sort of have in your mind of like what size might the item of food be, be sort of, is it kind of like a, a parent's thumb size or smaller or? I would say a little bit bigger than that. Like two fingers, um, like about this size is like about what okay. you want. Because if it's too small, if it's too short or too thin, then it's really easy for a piece to break off, which isn't the end of the world. Like it's going to happen, but um, it's a little bit more manageable if it's bigger in the um, early days. So I always tell people, parents, if you're unsure, it's better to go like bigger than smaller um, in the early days, even though that can be sort of like counterintuitive to parents and every parents want to serve a six month old, like teeny, teeny, tiny little pieces. Cause it feels more comfortable, you know, that just seems more, you know, like that would be lower risk. And, um, it's a really hard for them to pick up and B can be a little bit more of a risk before they have the sort of oral development to be able to handle those smaller pieces and like manipulate those in the mouth. So Bigger yeah, is better, I definitely. That, <laughs> yeah, I like that. Bigger is better. Yeah. That's a, a great tip. Um, so I think the other thing that, you know, parents worry about is sort of the nutritional content of a meal. And for me, it's sort of, you have a baby, you fed them either formula milk or breastfed them, and you kind of haven't worried about nutrition. And then suddenly you have to start introducing solids. And that, I think, is a genuine concern to parents as well how do I know that I'm getting the right nutrition in? So is there any if you could give us any sort of tips about that to sort of reassure parents or give them some advice to help them? Yeah, um, I think the thing to remember is that um, there are absolutely some nuances with baby nutrition. Like, uh, like the notable one is that their iron needs are very high, like compared to how small they are. So that's really one to be on top of. But in general, in terms of like a balanced meal for a baby, it's really just a miniature version of what a balanced meal for an adult would be. Um, so it's just a really easy way to do that is like some sort of like protein source. And that's generally hopefully going to be an iron rich one if possible. And then um, some sort of like fruit or vegetable and then something else that's maybe like a starch or a higher calorie fat type thing to so sort of have like three elements to your meal that you're, you know, doing your best to give them, you know, a few different options to work with. But it's, um, it's really, really common for a baby to maybe only eat like one of the three at the meal. And sometimes that can make parents really anxious of like, oh, well, they all they ate was a sweet potato, you know, or all they ate was x y or all they ate was the banana or whatever. 
Um, but if you can think if you're if you're doing your best within reason, like this isn't gonna happen all the time to serve them like varied meals, sort of varied balanced meals, then over time, they're going to pick different things out of the meals and have a reasonably well balanced um, meal over time. I mean, the only thing to be on top of it is if your baby like every single meal like rejects the iron rich food or something, then that might be something you need to follow up with a little bit more. But in general, like often these things like kind of even out over the course of like a couple days. So to think of like, well, what has my baby had over the course of like a couple of days as opposed to like, oh my gosh, they didn't really have a balanced meal for lunch today or something. Yeah. And and, I, and the other thing that, you know, I guess might be worth bearing in mind is that introducing new flavors can take a while for a baby to eat it. So it's worth trying flavors that or foods that they haven't tried and they maybe haven't eaten successfully on one day, but repeating that exposure to it. Right, right. Because we know through research that baby kids, babies can need multiple exposures to something before they learn to like it. So we really are, we're sort of training their palate in essence to, um, to sort of like learn to enjoy the foods that we cook in our family and the foods that we want them to learn to enjoy um, as well. So yeah, no, I I think that's, I think that's maybe something I hadn't really thought about is that (laughs) the the more you broaden the, the, the diet early on, actually the the better it is for them it's just mm-hmm. giving them more experiences and when they're young they're they're kind of up for it aren't they it gets it gets yeah. older as they get older because they do definitely get fussier but I think when they're little you've got kind of a, a bit of a golden window of opportunity haven't you yes yeah and the more you sort of like push in a way like push their palate a little bit when they're younger the more foods that they'll continue to like through the toddler years. So all little ones will drop off, you know, like after a year that some things that they liked as a baby, they'll decide that they don't like when they're older. But if they've had like a really wide variety when they're little, then, you know, if there's 10 foods that they don't like or something as a toddler, but they have tried a whole bunch, then that's, you know, it's not that onerous for you as a parent, you know, and you still have a child that's eating well in their toddler years and beyond. Yeah. And so does your course kind of address some of these things for parents? Yeah, absolutely. So my course is called The Real Food Baby, and it um, it really is um, there to help parents as a resource of not only kind of all the nitty-gritty details that you need to know about starting solids through baby lead weaning or making the transition to finger food for those who started on purees, Um, But it really goes deep into how you can um, adapt your cooking and serve your little one the same foods that you're eating as the family so that the whole family um, eats really well. Um, That was sort of like what I really felt was missing when I went through this process. So I sort of created what what I wish I had, I guess, per se. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, I I think, uh, you know, it it looks it looks fantastic. Yeah. Um, And I yes, and I wish it would have been around, you know, when my babies were little over (laughs) 11 years ago now, which I can't believe they're nearly teenagers. Oh, my gosh. God, yeah. Scary. Um, Now, in the UK at the moment, I don't know whether you know, we're having amazing weather. It doesn't happen very often in the UK, but it is hence me being a very summary. Um, So do you have any sort of tips for sort of meal planning for sort of summer summer food and when you're out and about with little ones because there's certain foods that are good and certain foods that are less good in, in the heat and when you're on the go yes yeah um 
So, I mean, always, you always want to be a little bit more on top of food safety when you're feeding a baby than you, I mean, you, everyone, you know, should be on top of food safety, but particularly with little ones, because their immune system is a little bit less developed. So they're, um, they're a bit more at risk for getting um, foodborne illness than an adult would be per se. So just being really on top of um, having food in a cooler bag. Um, so not letting it sit out too long at room temperature. So nothing should be at room temperature for more like two hours is really like the absolute outside. So it's really that room temperature middle middle range that um, in the culinary world, it's called like the danger zone. So you just want to make sure that like hot food stays hot and cold foods stays hot, cold. Um, so most of the time we're not having like hot food when we're out on a picnic or something, but um, and then, I mean, another consideration, I think when you're out during the summer with a little one is there are certainly some foods that are messier than others. I remember like one time I took like a little container of hummus out with my boys and there was just like hummus everywhere. And I was like, okay, so maybe this is not like the, not the best thing, but the possible. Uh, it's not right? the possible meal. Right. Right. Yeah. But I mean, fresh fruits and veggies are great, you know, like cucumber and cut fruit. And, um, I also love to do like a, like a chickpea pasta salad that is sort of good. It's good cold or room temp after it's been taken out for a little bit. And, um, the chickpea pasta or lentil pasta is really nice because it's much higher in iron. So that's a way that you can get um, like an iron rich food for your baby that, you know, the rest of the family will enjoy as well without having to like bring, you know, a cold piece of hamburger or something. So that's a nice one to have in there too. Oh, fab. So we asked our audience um, for some questions to ask you. Um, so are you ready if we go give you some quick fire questions? Yeah, sure. Okay, so the uh, first question is, how do I balance food groups for my growing baby and should I worry about it? Yeah, we touched on this a little bit. And I think, again, it's kind of like um, to do your best to serve relatively balanced meals to your little one, um, paying particular attention to the iron-rich foods. Um, there's so much focus in weaning on fruits and vegetables, and those are great and those are important. But in terms of what a baby actually needs... The, I mean, you could really make the argument that like the iron rich foods are, are more important. So making sure that those are pretty much, um, every time you offer food, that something has iron in it. Um, and then the vitamin C in the fruits and vegetables can like help with absorption, which is great. Um, but really thinking what, about, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, what, have you got some examples of iron rich food? Cause I think I know that red meat has got iron in it, but are there other, um, high high iron foods if you're you know red meat is something that you're not always going to want to buy or yeah yeah no there are um, a number of other options if um, if red meat is sort of like not something that your family eats um two of my favorites are sar uh, canned sardines are fantastic for babies and they're super high in iron they're really affordable as well um, and then canned shellfish like um, oysters and clams um, when your baby's ready for those um, those are really high in iron as well. So those are great options. Um, and then for those that aren't eating um, any animal products, um, like lentils and beans also have a decently uh, decent high, decent amount. Um, and that that'll be absorbed better with a vitamin C rich food compared to like the, the animal foods. Um, but eggs also have some, salmon has some, dark meat poultry has um, some iron in it. Um, in comparison to white meat, which really doesn't have, um, have a notable amount. So, um, 
there are lots of different ways you can mix it together and not feel like red meat has to be the only way that you get it in. How, how would you serve? I mean, this is a, I'm I'm cheating and putting my own quick fire question. Sure. In here. How would you how would you serve sardines or oysters or clams to a baby? Because I would not know where to start there. Yeah. So with the sardines, they come. You know, you just like open up the tin, and you know, there's like six of them sitting there, and for. Six to nine months, you literally can just plop it right on the plate. It doesn't have to be cooked or anything. Um, and babies, you'd be surprised that babies like really love it. Um, just like the whole thing plopped on there. And it's so great wow. for parents because it's like you don't have to, you know, it's not something you have to cook. You just like open the can and it's ready to go. Um, and then oysters are great too because it's a big enough, it's kind of like a, a handful size and it's really soft. So it's easy for them to kind of gum. And again, they're pre they're cooked in the can. So they don't carry the same risk that we always think about, um, you know, foodborne illness with shellfish, you know, with like mussels and that sort of stuff. But that's with raw shellfish, not with cooked. You don't have those same concerns with cooked. So, okay. okay. That's yeah. Right. That I was, yeah. I was envisaging a baby with a shell no, trying to no, eat their no, oyster. No, that I was like, I didn't know. Clarification. Yeah. It'll be quite some time before <laughs> that, that is like safe and approved. Yeah. So this is definitely <laughs> operating with cooked stuff here. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm glad, I'm glad I asked that question. Yeah. Um, so the next question uh, we got asked was, how can I prevent picky, picky, can't get my words out. How can I prevent picky eating? Yeah, um, and it's it's such a loaded question because I think we've kind of gotten to the point where it's just like, oh, all toddlers are picky eaters and that's the way, that's the way it is. Um, but I think it's really a combination of um, really pushing what you serve your baby, like to the best of your ability, like you don't have to drive yourself crazy here, but introducing them to a wide variety of foods and textures and, um, you know, foods that get messy, foods that are crunchy, like just really the full gamut of things when they're little, it teaches them to, it teaches little ones um, that food can be different all the time. So um, that they don't get stuck into like, well, I have to have this kind of bread with this topping cut in this sort of way. And they sort of becoming really rigid about it. So just having babies turn into toddlers that are like food can be different all the time. And sometimes mom makes it this way. And sometimes grandma makes it that way. And that's just all very normal. And then the other thing that I think arguably is even more important than that is not pressuring little ones. And it's so easy as a parent because we want the best for them. Um, and so we know as a parent like that we want them to eat the broccoli and we want them to eat the salmon or whatever you know we deem as nutritious foods. Um, but often like the more we pressure as parents and kind of put those foods on a pedestal, the more toddlers resist to that. Um, babies yeah. won't so much, but once they get to the point, that very normal toddler phase of pushing boundaries, having their own opinions about things, then that's where the pressure really starts to backfire. So trying to remember starting when they're a baby and then continuing through the toddler years that it's like, um, you know, if you don't like what is you know, that these are our options for dinner and um, there's something on the plate that you generally like. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll eat again 
at dinner if you don't like lunch and just sort of being very neutral about the whole thing and trying not to make it um, a battle over what they are and aren't eating. So it's sort of like, and I think boundaries without too much pressure, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And I think when you, if you've had to adapt, create a whole bespoke meal mm-hmm. and you haven't adapted what you're eating, right? it's very hard to stay neutral because you're emotionally invested more in that because right. you've spent more time, mm-hmm. more of your time. So I think being able to adapt a meal without you having to put in as much efforts right you know on your time Mm -hmm. making it simple for yourself actually probably reduces the the pressure that you feel that you how much you want them to eat it because you're just your bar you set your bar a bit lower right it's like this is this is dinner and you know it's like some nights you'll like it more than others and you know and I think as long as there's something on the plate particularly for toddlers who are more reliant on the solid food than a baby is that there's something on the plate that you are confident they'll eat, you know, just sort of like out of kindness because they need to fill their belly and whatever. Um, then beyond that, you can sort of stick to, well, this is, you know, this is what we're having for dinner. Cause like once you start, it's just such a slippery road um, for parents. Once you, once they start of like, Oh, well you didn't like this. Okay. I'll make you a grilled cheese, you know, afterwards or a cheese. I think you guys call them cheese toasties or something. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm impressed. You know that. Yeah. <laughs> I can't remember. I heard that somewhere. Maybe, maybe I think it actually was Jamie Oliver. I was like, what's a cheese toastie? <laughs> um, yeah. We call grilled cheese over here, but whatever, you know, some kid friendly like type food of like, once you start that and sort of keep, give them that open door then it's really, really hard to rein them back into like whatever you're serving everyone else for dinner. So, yeah. yeah. I think almost like you sort of, you probably get quite far down that road before you realize, you know, because it's right. just a, right. I think you could go a long way before you mm-hmm. like, I am now again cooking right. meals, except right. I'm doing it doing it after so i think i think that's a really useful tip okay that wasn't the quickest fire we managed to make that (laughs) one last quite a long time so um so the next question is i'm worried my baby's not eating enough and they look like they're just playing with their food should i be concerned about it um yeah that's such a common question it's a little bit age specific so the younger the baby the closer the baby is to six months um, the less concerning that is. So I think sometimes parents will reach out to me and they're in week one of baby led weaning. And they're like, oh my gosh, that my daughter's like not eating anything. She's just playing with it and just getting really concerned about that. And that's so normal in the early days um, for them to just be playing with it, um, making a mess of it. Maybe some gets to the mouth um, and that's all very, very normal. Um, And then we do want to sort of slowly see them start to transition to becoming more proficient at bringing the food to their mouth, actually kind of gumming some of it, getting it in there um, as they get a little bit older. So we usually want to see them making that shift kind of in the eight to nine month mark. Um, So yeah, it's, it's a longer journey than parents usually think of them getting to the point where they're actually picking up food eating it and swallowing it. Um, but yeah, if you're, if you're kind of getting to the 10, 11 month mark and you see zero progress in the right direction, then that would be something yeah. to check in with your pediatrician just to make sure. But in general, it takes longer than parents think, I would say. Yeah. And I think that that was certainly something that I don't think I was prepared for. Mm-hmm. I just assumed that I would put them in the high chair and 
we'd be able they'd be able to do right. it and sort of only now <laughs> retrospectively but I think why on earth did I think that? Because I think you see pictures of babies on, the, you know, in an advert and they're all smiling and eating and right. you don't appreciate that those babies are either quite considerably older than your baby right. when you're mm-hmm. starting and developmentally they're on a different trajectory potentially. So every child is different. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really important to just look at what your baby's doing right. and judge it from there. So yeah. I think that's, I think that was a really great yeah. answer. Um, so the final question was, can you recommend a healthy summer treat? Um, yeah, no, I kind of like alluded to it earlier of like, um, like chickpea pasta salad is a really fun one that like everybody enjoys. Um, and then another one that we love is um, you can do like a big wedge of watermelon with um, a squeeze of lime on it is really, really good and kind of like a different flavor. And then for adults, you can like sprinkle some salt on there as well. And that one's um, really yummy for oh, everyone to enjoy as well just to kind of jazz up your watermelon a little bit um, and what about size wise for little ones if you're like a big big I mean you could if you don't have how... to but like um, just uh, a big enough piece that is not too much is gonna you know so that they can kind of gum it and work on it themselves yeah oh amazing that's I, I, I actually want that now yeah. <laughs> I want that now. Yeah. It sounds delicious. <laughs> um, so we ask this to all our guests. What is your top time? What is your top tip to make mealtime adventures more fun for both parents and babies? Um, I mean, I think the most important thing is we can get so in the weeds about like what they're eating and the nutrition and the the this, that, and the other. And the most important thing is whenever possible is to eat together with your baby when you can and really make it like a fun part of your day so that they see you enjoying eating, they enjoy eating and like watching you as well and just creating a really positive association with um, eating together as a family. Because at the end of the day, like that's, that's so much more important than kind of like the nuances of... Um, you know, specific foods and stuff is that we should enjoy sharing a meal together as part of yeah, what we do every like day. Ethos, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The ethos of eating mm-hmm. at a meal time is, is bigger than the, the sum of the parts. Yes. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I love that answer. And I think that really does ground babies and, and toddlers into sort of, it's so communal, isn't it? Mm. Like bringing that community and your, your family community and then, extending out into the wider world with friends and relatives and all those other things it's sort of I think it's just it's such a, a lovely thing to share right especially as a bit of a foodie myself yeah. it's a, you know sharing sharing a meal is yeah. quite a, a big deal in our house yes, absolutely. <laughs> um so final question we're nearly at the end um we as parents are always hugely busy and we rarely have time to sit down and to have a cup a cup a, a nice warm drink and I know that you're <laughs> little babies are asleep in bed at the moment they've slept soundly I think we've got away with it so what would your choice of a bibber brew be um because we're about to send you our love curiosity uh, mug as a oh, thank well, you thank for coming you. on our show thank you so much so we want to know what you put in it um uh, gosh my favorite every morning I have a really really strong coffee um with a splash <laughs> of cream and a little bit of stevia it's sort of pretty simple um simple drink but it's like my little happy, happy place in the morning that I always come back <laughs> Get you going. for. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, well, listen, Christina, it's been so wonderful to talk to you. And thank you so much for coming on and being such a fabulous um, guest. And as I say, we're going to be sending you your your wonder is for the curious mug. And I hope you get to enjoy many coffees with your stevia in it. it. Um, And please let us know when you use it. Yes. Um, And for any of our listeners, um, please check out and subscribe to our social channels on Instagram and Facebook to keep up to date with the latest episodes. And if you'd like to watch the full video podcast, um, it will be available on the website. And if you've only got time for the audio recording, it will be on Spotify, Apple and Amazon. Um, And if if anybody wants to get in touch and let us know what they would like us to talk with our next guest, they've got a guest they'd like us to speak with, please let us know um, and get in contact. But thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thank you. (laughs) Boo-boo-doo, boo-boo-doo.